0: We're going to be starting today a sermon series on Revelation. That's Revelation, no S on the end. Sometimes I make that mistake. We make that mistake of calling it Revelations because there are other Bible books of the Bible like Colossians, Galatians, Thessalonians. But here it's just Revelation, no S. But if I make that mistake, forgive me, I'm just going to put that out there up front. And if you make that mistake, that's okay. We're going to be studying this summer for our summer series, this book, Uh, And I think about this book, and a lot of people have different opinions about it, what it's about. So my first question here this morning for you is, what comes to mind when you think of the book of Revelation? In fact, you might want to just throw that in the chat bar right now. Like, what comes to your mind? What is it that you think about when you hear the book of Revelation? What what conjures up in your imagination? I remember when, uh, what it reminds me of is actually back uh, when they first started coming out with this idea of microchips and they would be able to create microchips and put all your information on them and even put your credit card on them and then they could embed them under your skin and that way you didn't have to carry anything with you. you could just, They could just scan your micro-trip chip and when this first started coming out, Uh, a lot of people started saying, you know, this is the mark of the beast, you know, that this microchip is the the mark of the beast talked about in Revelation because you can't do business and transact in in the world without this microchip. And so this was a clear sign of the end times. And, you know, this is over 20 years ago that they started talking about this. And in fact, you go on YouTube today and find out more videos today about microchipping and the sign of the beast. And I think about that and I like, is that really the way we want to interpret Revelation. Is there more to Revelation than that? I think about, you know, that actually microchipping has been a great idea for our pets. Um, We're now microchipping our pets, and we put our owner owner information on them. And that way, if we ever lose our pets, they can be reunited with our family because of a microchip. So there's actually some good things coming out of microchips. My daughter works in a shelter, and uh, she... Uh, they had a cat come into the shelter, and the cat had a microchip. So they scanned the microchip, found out the cat was from Hawaii, and they're like, "How did a cat get from Hawaii to Kentucky, where she's working in the shelter?" And they found out they actually were able to track down the family. Found the family in California. The family had moved from Hawaii to California, and then the cat had somehow gotten lost in a move and later and that had ended up in Kentucky and they were able to reunite nine months, I think about nine months later, able to reunite the cat with the family because of that microchip. So there are some positive things of microchipping that we could also look at too. So it's really about how you spin it, how you look at it, right? And I think about how we look at Revelation sometimes is how we spin it, how people spin it. We tend to maybe use it in a way that it wasn't intended to be used. It's not a crystal ball about the end times, although it alludes to some of those things. But I also think about this too. When we talk about end times, here's another thing just to keep in mind. Everybody who's predicted the return of Christ with a date has been wrong. Think about it. If we're here today, everybody who's predicted it and set a date or said this is when it's happening or interpret the end times, everybody up until this point has been wrong. And here's the thing. Do you know that during the Revolutionary War, some Christians said this was the end of time, a war, a rumor of war. You know, during the Civil War, some Christians came out and said, this is the end times. In fact, every time there's a war, every time there's a crisis, every time there's an epidemic, a pandemic, there are Christians that will come out and say, this is it, this is the end time, this is the sign of the times, right? But let's go back to what Jesus taught us about this. Jesus actually taught this. But about that day or hour, no one knows. You get that? No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So one thing we know is that we can't predict the end of the world. We can't predict the end times. Not even the angels know that. The angels, which we are going to hear more about in the book of Revelation, they didn't even know. They don't even know. So we'll talk about that and unpack some of that through these weeks ahead through our summer series on this Bible study. But As we get started, let's just jump in, and then we're going to jump into chapter one and just kind of give an introduction to the book of Revelations. But let's jump in to the first three verses, and I'll read it for you. And you can follow along in your Bible. I'm going to encourage you to break out your Bibles for this summer series, bring them to online church with you, uh, find them in your phone, your iPad, wherever, Get, get something that you can take notes with, because that'll help. So here we are, verse one. The time is near. So obviously, even in the first century, they felt the time was near. Here's the thing. I want you to go back to the vision of Jesus Christ. This means that Jesus, this is from Jesus. This is and technically, Jesus is the author. John is the secretary of Jesus. He's taking the vision from the angel, Jesus to the angel to John. And really, though, the author of the book of Revelation is Jesus Christ himself. And so we have to keep that authorship in mind and what Jesus is revealing and what the Godhead is revealing to us through the book of Revelation. So Jesus is the author and it's coming to people, Christians in the first century, at a time of when the church was being persecuted under the Roman Empire. The other thing about what's happening here is that this book holds out for us two things. A promise about who God is and the and victory in Christ, but it also holds out some demands, some requests of us as Christians living in a, a dominated world dominated by something other than Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna talk about that this morning as well and into the future. The other thing we need to keep in mind about Revelation is that we actually need the Old Testament and the Old Testament prophets to help us understand the symbolism in the book of Revelation. So this actually creates a little bit more work for us as we look at this, because we actually have to go back to the Old Testament, learn from the Old Testament prophets, their symbols, what they're communicating, and bring some of that understanding into our interpretation of the book of Revelation. So this actually makes more work, at least for the preacher. I don't know about you, but it makes it actually work because we have to do some more digging in the biblical text. And so this text, we need to understand. For example, we're going to hear in the next few verses about... Uh, The seven spirits. Now seven is a key number in the Old Testament prophets. It's carried over into Revelation. In fact, if you look behind me today, you see what? Seven lights behind me representing the seven churches, the seven lampstands that are talked about in Revelation. This will be here through our series, but it's a reminder of this number seven, which is a sign, a symbol of holiness and perfection, and that, that this calling of the church to be that holy church, right? And so that's coming out of Revelation. And we need, though, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah To understand that, because in Zechariah 3.9 and 4.10, we learn about the seven eyes of the Lord that are watching humanity. And again, this is a reference in the next few verses to to that Old Testament reference. So this is a good example of how we need the Old Testament to understand the prophets particularly. And the other thing to keep in mind, and this is the last thing I'll say about the context, but here's the thing. This was happening during the time when a ruler was in place. We, we, most scholars agree, it was under the Caesar named Domitian, and this Caesar, emperor, also known as the emperor, would have been demanding that he be worshipped. So here's something about Rome, the Roman Empire. They would worship and venerate the Caesar or the emperor, but most of the time they did it while the emperor, after the emperor had died, you know. But in this case, Domitian actually asked the people to worship him while he was still alive. He was demanding 100% allegiance and worship to him as their emperor. So think about that. So what does that do for a Christian during that time period who had claimed that Jesus Christ was the one they worshiped, to claim that Jesus Christ was their Lord when the emperor, the Roman Empire, the nation was saying, you need to worship the emperor. What do you do as a Christian? And that's part of what we're going to wrestle with, and that's a key question that we need to ask ourselves in studying the book. And here's the question: Is Jesus Lord of your life? Is Jesus Lord of your life? You see, the, the Christians had to make a decision: Am I going to worship the emperor, or am I going to worship Jesus? Am I going to claim the emperor is my Lord and ruler, or do I claim Jesus as my Lord and ruler? That's also an important question for us even today as we live today. So let's keep going in the text today. We're going to jump to to verse 4. John, it says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits here, there's that symbol, seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, one of the things we learned here in this section is that John is the secretary or the writer of this revelation. And John is on the island of Patmos, And he's writing this, and he's sending it to seven churches. Again, the number seven. And I think we've got, and we can see what would have happened. So John writes the letter of Revelation, and he's on the island of Patmos. You can see that on the map here. And now Patmos is next to, not the closest island to the port city of Ephesus. And so the first letter, this letter would have gone to the church in Ephesus, which is that port city and uh, number one. And then it would have been taken to each of the other seven, other six churches, seven in total, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so these, this letter would have traveled. This is how mass communication happened. Think about it. No TV, no internet, uh, no phones, No printing presses, no newspapers, no magazines. And so what happened is that John recorded this probably on a scroll, and then that scroll was taken to each of the churches and read in each of the churches, and that's how they. communicated to the masses so to speak and also they would have stopped and read it other places along the way so that all the churches in a whole region of asia would have heard the about this letter uh revelation and so john is doing that and helping that to be communicated on behalf of jesus christ and so that's just a little bit of historical context as we jump into this this uh, revelation today so we'll we'll keep going I want to point out and stop here at verse five and six for a moment. It says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve as God and father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And we'll see this word amen happen a lot in this book. Amen means so be it. May it be so. That's what it means. It doesn't mean the end. Uh, It means May this happen. May this be so. As it is in heaven, may it be so on earth. Amen. And that's the title of our series. So think about this, though. I want you to, that that verse says that we're a kingdom and we're priests. So think about that. Have you ever thought of yourself as a priest? Have you ever thought about yourself as a Christian, as a priest? Now, the first hearers of this letter would have thought of a priest as someone who worshiped in the temple in Jerusalem and offered sacrifices to atone for the sins of people in the temple system in the first century. They would have thought about a priest. That's what a priest does. A priest is constantly worshiping God, constantly offering sacrifices to God. That's what a priest does. Now, interesting that this word priest is used at the very beginning of the book, and this idea of worship comes in, because as some people have said, Revelation may possibly really be a book about worship and who we worship, right? And we're called to be priests. That means we're called to be full-time worshipers of God. Do you think about yourself that way? Do you think of yourself as a priest? And here's another question for a priest what are you sacrificing for? Or here's the question that we ought to be asking ourselves. Who or what are we sacrificing for today? They were priests in the first century, but what about us today? What are we offering sacrifices for? What are we worshiping? Because here's the thing. Whatever we sacrifice for is what, probably what we're worshiping. So if we're sacrificing for our families, dads, I know that's a big theme uh, around Father's Day, but is that maybe that's who we worship, right? And does that become priority over Jesus Christ? Or maybe we're sacrificing for our jobs, thinking we're sacrificing for our families, right? And sometimes we think that way. And are we sacrificing more for our jobs, or for our bosses, or for our families, or for entertainment, or for the pursuit of happiness in our nation, or whatever it is? What is it that you and I are sacrificing for, not just dads, moms, young people, everybody? What is it that we sacrifice most for And whatever we sacrifice most for, our time, our energy, our money, whatever it is, that's probably what we worship most, right? So that's a key question here, and that's a question for the people, not only who first heard the the letter revelation, but also for us today. That question of what we worship is who we sacrifice for. So keep that in mind. But know that you're a priest, and you're part of God's kingdom as a Christian and we serve that kingdom. So here's the last few verses we'll look at today. Verses uh, 7 and 8. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. And even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the All mighty. Now, these verses remind us that when Jesus does come back, when Jesus does return, everybody's going to know about it. It's not going to be a secret thing. People will understand it. And it's interesting because it talks about mourning. Why would there be mourning at the return of Christ? Well, that's because some people will at that moment recognize they missed the truth and grace of Jesus Christ in their lives. Jesus actually called it weeping and gnashing of teeth. There was mourning because they missed who Jesus was. There will be people who did not experience and know the grace of Jesus Christ and the truth of who he was that will see him return and go, I missed it. I missed it. And there will be mourning because of that. And then Jesus says this about God Alpha and Omega which means beginning and end, that God is both the beginning and the end. In fact, God stands outside of time and space, right? So to illustrate this idea of alpha and omega that we see brought up here, I brought with, uh, with me this morning, it's not a yardstick because it's actually four feet, so it's no longer a yard, but it's for drywalling. And I want you to see this. So this is the beginning uh, the beginning of the, me- of the, the rod And this is the end, right? And so the beginning and the end, the alpha and omega. Here's the thing about God. God can hold all of time in God's hands like this. God can see both the beginning of time, the Big Bang, or whatever we want to call it, right? The beginning of the universe, and can see the very end of the universe at the same time. Just like I can see both the beginning and the end right now in in, right here in front of me, right? But you and I, we're somewhere in here, right? And we're, we're always trying to figure out, well, are we at the end or are we back here? You know, and that's what every predictor has been trying to figure out. You know, when, oh, this is when Jesus is coming back. Well, they're not, they, they predicted it here when really it's over here, right? They've been trying to predict, but nobody can predict it because we're in it. Only God is outside of it. Only God exists outside of time and space itself. And God is the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. God has it all. God sees it all at the same time, whereas we're stuck in here. We're in the timeline, so to speak. But I hope that helps you understand what it means for God to be the alpha and omega, the one outside of time and space. And that's how huge God is. The other thing I want to point out about this is that it refers to God not only as Alpha and Omega, but the Almighty, the Almighty. And the Greek word here that you love—I know you guys love the Greeks—that's why I'm bringing it back this week. It, the Greek word here is Pantocrator. Pantocrator. The Emperor that we talked about is referred to as the Autocrator, autocrat. That's where we get the word autocrat. What's an autocrat? An autocrat is someone who believes they have absolute power and does not listen to the perspective of other people. That's an autocrat. That was the emperor. The emperor thought that he was above everything else and would not listen to the opinions of anyone around him. He was an autocrat. What it says here is that God is the almighty, the pantocrat, meaning that God is the ruler of all rulers. God is the leader of every single human leader, right? So here's the thing. Go back to our timeline, right? The emperor was just a blip, just a blip on God's radar. Think about that. Every leader, every autocrat in the in the history of humanity is just a blip on the timeline compared to the Alpha and Omega, the Almighty One, who has all of time and is the ruler of the entire, Pantocrator means ruler of the entire universe over every other person, over every other leader. That's good news, isn't it? Isn't it good news to know that God is the Almighty, the ruler of all rulers, the Alpha and Omega, that in a sense, God's got this. That everything we're going through today is just a blip on God's radar compared to who God is. That's good news for us today. I did wanna jump into some questions here for you all this morning as we look into this because we're wrestling with some, again, some promises of who God is, but also some demands upon us as we think about who God is. So here are some questions for discussion this morning. And you can discuss these at home with your families or with a roommate or a friend uh, or in your classes if you're going to Zoom classes this morning or sometime this week. Uh, so here's what you can ask yourselves and discuss. What do you already know about the book of Revelation? What do you already know so far that, you know, that about it? And then what do you still need to learn or have questions about? I'd love for you to uh, write those down. And if you have those questions, in fact, I'll put it out there. If you have questions, uh, have your group leaders send them to me, and we'll try and uh, work through some of those questions in the weeks ahead. But so keep that in mind. But where are you at? Right there. And then number three, this is an important question for us as people of faith. The church has asked this question of every follower. Do you know Jesus as both Savior and Lord? What is your response today? Explain. And this idea is that you and I may know Jesus as our Savior, the forgiver, the grace giver, but do we know Jesus as our Lord and ruler and the one who uh, demands uh, our allegiance and to follow Jesus? And then number four, what is competing for Jesus's leadership in your life today? What have you been sacrificing for other than Jesus or Jesus' leadership in your life? Or who else have you been listening to or following other than Jesus? Because that is a key question in Revelation today. So those are some questions for you to be thinking about, discussing, and hold on to those too as we go through this series this summer. I did want to end just with a story to kind of wrap. And it took me back to my trip to India, my recent trip to India and I come out of the United States. Now, I mean, when we drive a car, we have seat belts that we have to wear. We have airbags that deploy if we're in an accident. We put our kids in car seats and we strap them in and we make sure we've got the best safety rated car seat for our kids. And we drive around on roads that are paved with lines on them and everybody stays within the lines and is orderly most of the time for, some of us, for most of us. But I want you to think, when I went to India, one of the things that struck me most was there are no lines on the road, that people are weaving in and out of traffic, and nobody is always wearing a seatbelt. and I'm not sure that the cars we were riding in had, had any of those uh, airbags, but I remember driving through the busy streets of India, sitting in the back seat of a car, and I look out to my left, and there's a family of five on a motorbike built for two. In a chaotic, noisy city. Now, what struck me about that was I was sitting there like, you know, I come from this kind of safe world, you know, this world focused on safety. And here they were, you know, the only dad was wearing a helmet of the five. And they're on a motorbike built for two. So dad's riding the motorbike. He's got a kid sitting on the gas tank in front of him. He's got another one of his older kids sitting in between, in, behind him with their hands on his waist, holding on. And then mom is behind that kid, fourth in line, and on mom's hip is the youngest, like a toddler, sitting on her hip in the back of the motorbike, and they're whizzing through the streets of Hyderabad. And I just remember looking at him like, how are they doing that, right? How can this be happening, right? This isn't, and to me, from my perspective, I was saying, this doesn't feel safe, right? But the thing that I remember about watching that happen was just the shock of it, right, from my perspective. But on the back hip of the mom, the toddler was asleep, totally zonked out. And I thought, how can this child sleep among the noise and the traffic and the chaos and the weaving of the motorcycle and the danger that the child was in from my perspective And I remember watching this child fast. How could that be? Why one word comes to mind. Trust. Trust. That child fully trusted her mother and her father. Fully trusted that she was safe in the arms of her mother as her father drove the motorbike. And although there was chaos and danger, she was fast asleep, resting in the arms of her mom, whom she trusted to take care of her. And I think that's a great image for God, the Almighty One, that we are in God's arms, that no matter what the dangers or chaos we find ourselves in, ultimately, we can trust God. God's got this. God's got us. And we can rest in peace and grace today. Let's pray together.